You know, so this past week, uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Paul and I, we met on Tuesday like we always do, just to share and just to pray for each other. And um, my prayer request this week was to pray for me and Barnabas, my son. And the reason why I shared this was because even though it's hard for me to believe and hard for me to even accept that my son, this year, he'll be graduating from elementary school and he's going to be in Sandy Run Middle School next year. He's going to be in middle school next year. He's going to be in youth group next year. I can't believe that. And the reason I asked him to pray was because I remember when I entered youth group, that's when I first started to think, I'm so mature, right? That I'm so mature. I started shopping for my own clothes. I was like, Mom, you don't have to go with me. I'll buy my own clothes. I started talking to girls on the phone for the first time, right? I started going out to eat on my own, my own movie, uh, movie theaters with my friends. Mom, you don't have to be with me, right? And I started doing all these things on my own and starting in middle school. And I, I remember again thinking, I'm so mature, you know? And as I started doing these things, and now that, you know, I'm 40-something, in hindsight, I realized I was far from being mature. Because when my mom gave me all this money to buy, you know, new clothes for the whole year, I bought one really nice shirt. <laughs> one nice shirt that had an A and an X across the middle that I could walk around because I thought it was so cool if I wore that shirt, you know. And when I would go out to eat, I would not order the healthiest thing. I still have a hard time ordering healthy things. And when I went to the movies, I would buy, like, a ticket for a PG movie. But then I would sneak into the rated R movie, right? And then when I called the ladies, my talks would be far from being wholesome and edifying. And so again, when I think back, I thought I was mature. But I realized how silly I was, right? In doing all these things in, in a foolish way. Similarly, I know some of us, we've been attending Grace Point for some time. And if not this church, I'm sure we've been, most of us have been attending church for some time in general. And so the important question I'd like us to ask is, what does a mature believer look like? What does a mature church look like? And what I'd like us to see is by studying today's passage and looking at, uh, there's so much here. But just to focus on some of the things that Paul is noting, that there's at least three things we need to see that makes a mature church. The first thing that scripture says is that it has to be a church that's unified, right? Second, that it should be a church that's selfless. And lastly, a mature church is a church that's a loving church. And I think this is important because when we ask what makes a mature church, some of us may think, oh, just because we're older now, now that we're out of youth group, we're so mature. Now that we're older and married, we have our own children, we're mature. We're successful. We, you know how much money we make now? We can buy our own clothes, we can buy our own cars, we can buy our own homes. That's what makes us mature, right? And although we may think that, and that might be a few signs that reflect our maturity. When it comes to church maturity, when it comes spiritual maturity, none of these things make the list. But instead, Paul, I want to see how Paul points us to these things. These are the more important things to show whether 
Grace Point Church is a mature church or not. And so the first thing I'd like us to uh, concentrate on is how Paul mentions to learn about being a mature church, we have to be a unified church. You know, Tay and I, we celebrated our 15th uh, year in marriage last month. And to be honest, every time I look back, every year I look back, I'm amazed at how God sustained our marriage. And our, how God sustains any marriage, actually. Because if you're not married, or it's been very early for you guys, you know, often people get married with the wrong expectations. And these false faulty hopes and these faulty expectations. When the truth is, it's really amazing that by God's grace, people that are so different can come together and people that are so different not only come together, but stay together. 15 years, can you believe that? God's grace. And I'm going to give you an example. Um, Going back to my wife and I, you know, we grew up with very different backgrounds. For me, uh, for most of my life, I grew up with a single mom for most of my life, and I had siblings. And so there's three of us. And so for my mom to raise and maintain three kids on her own, to keep a house that doesn't burn down, right? She raised us in such a militant way to keep our kitchen in check, to keep our bedrooms in check, and even the way we dress, it still affects us today, everything about us, because my mom was so militant, right, in the way she raised us. Tay, on the other hand, she grew up with two parents, single child, and her family story is completely different in the sense that when they tried to have children, uh, sadly, Tay's parents, they had miscarriages after miscarriage. So they lost baby after babies, and you can imagine how difficult that is. So when Tay was born, she was the golden child, right? <laughs> she was the special one. And so you can imagine what her child must, childhood must have been like, right? Not very militant, but so gentle, so careful, right? If she trips, like, oh, are you okay? You want to make a mess? Go ahead, make a mess, you know? It's okay, right? So different. Fast forward about 30 years. We get married. We have our own children. The big question is, how do we raise them, right? Do we raise them in a militant way that's a nice, clean, neat house? <laughs> or do we let them raise them in a quote-unquote freestyle fashion, right? Let them do whatever they want. And so for, we were very frustrated in our first few years of marriage, just on our own, and even when we first had our children. And we were frustrated until, for myself at least, um, when I was trying to do marriage counseling and gathering all these materials, I came across this one book by Paul Tripp. And it's called, What Did You Expect? And in this book, Paul Tripp, he pushes this one major biblical truth, and he highlights how people don't really expect struggles or fights or differences in marriage. But the key to understanding marriage is actually in Genesis 1. The understanding our differences is that when you go back to the way God created people, God created people differently. The differences was all started in the mind of God. And so the things that we need to do is, number one, we need to, instead of trying to recreate, remake our spouse, 
We need to appreciate how different God has made them. Instead of trying to refuse to see differences in our lives as something wrong, something bad, as something sinful, it's not always wrong. We can't see differences as something that's always wrong. And we need to understand that marital unity is not marital sameness. Marital unity is not marital sameness. That true unity, it's about coming together and bettering each other because of our differences, right? And when I got this, you know, it, I got a lot better because of Tay. It made me much more laxed around the house. And I have to say, it was so freeing, you know? <laughs> I don't have to put something in the right spot, in the right place all the time. And it made Tay better, too, where she didn't have to, you know, necessarily have clutter all over the place and be like, where's my keys, where's my keys? Put it in the same spot, Tay. Keep it nice and neat. Then you'll find your keys, right? And so it both makes, we both made it each other better because of our differences. And this is important for us to understand because the first and foremost thing that Paul is clearly telling us in our passage that makes a mature church is a unified church. And we know this because if you go back to our passage Scripture says, therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. Why? So we can be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And I don't think anyone will argue the importance of unity, right? The need for unity. But the bigger question is, how do we define it? What does unity look like in the church? And sadly, I think many people believe unity is either A, conforming one to one another completely, being the exact replica. We have to think exactly the same. We have to act the same. We have to live the same. We have to be exactly the same. That's what makes unity, right? Or B, some people think, you don't have to be the same. Unity just... We're different, but just accept everyone. Let's be blind to all of our differences. Who cares if you're black, white, yellow? Who cares about our differences? Ignore it, and then we'll be one unified church. But biblical unity does not say either of these are the right definition. And that's why Paul, from the beginning, he's struggling. Ephesians, the, the uh, uh, Gentiles and Jews, they're so different. And he's saying, no, Christ broke down that wall of hostility. We're the same, yeah? And that's why in the beginning of our passage, he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the, the one hope that belongs to your call. But after saying we are one, almost immediately after, Paul points to the different Diverse gifts saying, but, we're all one, but God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers. Why? Why are we the same but then yet different? Because Paul is pointing to the same truth, same biblical truth that Paul Tripp was pointing out in his book. Unity is not about why can't people be exactly like me? Why can't you be sporty like me? Why can't you go to the art museum and appreciate this Picasso painting? Do you see the sunflower? 
I was like, oh my gosh. I got too close. They're like, excuse me, sir, back up. I'm like, all right, I don't know how it works here, you know? Why can't certain be so sophisticated like us? And the other crowd is saying, why can't you be more laid back like us? True biblical unity is not trying to conform people to be exactly like us. True biblical uh, unity is all of us conforming to be like Jesus. And because no single person can be like Jesus, no single person can fully reflect all the gifts that God has given to his people, that's why God made us so different. That's why we need each other so badly. And that's what true unity looks like. Togetherness in our diversity. And I tell you, Grace Point, if we would only come to believe this biblical truth, instead of having the attitude, Psh, I don't need them, but oh yeah, I really do. If we would come to believe this biblical truth, and staring, instead of tearing down each other because we're so different, we will learn to appreciate each other, we will learn to celebrate each other's differences, and we will be a church that grows, a church that is unified, and a church that's one step towards church maturity. The second thing I want to point out for uh, in terms of being a mature church, is how the Bible tells us we need to be a selfless church. You know, this past week, um, Tay and I, we got to go visit Jen and Will at the hospital, and we got to meet little Tyler for the first time. And I have to say, um, now that my kids are older, now that they're like 10 and 8, compared to a newborn, they look like a giant, you know? And so when I look at these newborns, I almost forget how cute they are how small and how precious they are, you know, like a little football that can just hold in my, tuck into my arm. And for a brief moment, and I have to say, when I say brief, I'm like one second or two seconds, okay? In the moment of weakness, I have to say almost, right? I almost wondered, man, should I have another baby? You know? <laughs> for a brief moment, I thought that. And then when baby Tyler started crying, and when we brought food and the parents dropped their food immediately to attend to their baby, it gave me all these flashbacks, right? <laughs> the sleepless nights, the delayed meals. You can't even eat your sushi in peace. You got to attend to them even though you're starving. All the potty training, the poopy diapers, the trips to the hospital, whether they're sick or they need stitches and all these things. And so when I thought about them, I was like, nope, I don't think I'm going to have a child of mine. I'm so glad I'm a pastor and I can make these visits and hug them, love them, and then be like, bye-bye, you know, and be, go to my home in peace. But you know what? I realized that makes it so tough about these babies and so tough about children. As cute as they are, they're so darn selfish, aren't they? They're selfish little creatures. And obviously, I know, and in one sense, you know, that's the nature of, child, of, of children. But that's my point, that when you look at children, that they can't feed themselves. They can't wash themselves. They can't even wipe their own butt. They constantly need pe other people to serve them, other people to give to them, 
as they cry out, mine, 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 like a little kid, right? But the older they get, the more that they mature, isn't it the hope of every parent, the expectation of every parent, that they'll become more independent? That instead of being served, that they will want to serve other people. That they will wash the dishes, they will take out the garbage, they will help their friends at school, that they will help the community, they will help the church. And so that a lot of times when they get older, as they mature, we expect them that they will be less selfish and more about serving others. And this is what Paul is basically saying in our text too. And it's funny because Paul never got married. He never had children. And perhaps it was because of all his time with his sister and his nephew and in the church community that has children. But in terms of being a mature church, what does a mature church look like? Paul writes this, right? Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the people for the works of service. Why? So that the body of church may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth like waves blown here and there by every wind. In other words, when you look at Scripture, you know, this passage does not list all the gifts in the Bible. There are multiple passages in the Bible that have all these different gifts. But the point is that everyone has a gift. And the church will only grow, it will only be mature, it would only be really healthy when a church is less self, selfish and it becomes selfless and you, you start using your gift to build the church, to edify the church. You know, I've been in ministry for only uh, the last 12 years, but I've noticed two major obstacles that keep us from using our gifts to serve the church. The first is kind of twofold. Um, I think the first obstacle when the Bible tells us, use your gifts to build up the church. The first obstacle, I think, is many people either they don't know or they don't take serious that everyone has a gift. And so a lot of times they think, you know what, when it comes to church work, leave it to the pastors, right? Leave it to the staff. Leave it to the paid staff. They'll take care of it. Make Pastor Tom and Chris come early. Open the church. You know why it's so warm in here? We turn on the heat early in the morning, you know? Make them lead all the classes, all the different events, because that's what they're paid to do. And although I agree there are distinctions, there are things that we should be doing that other Christians don't, but the point here is not about full-time ministry and those who are not, right? But the gifts, it's about gifts, and it's that everybody has one, and everyone should be using it to edify and to grow the church. The second obstacle, I think, is similar to the first, where not only are you saying leave it to the pastors, but I think a second major obstacle is that they pass the buck off to another member. And may, many of us probably know this as the 80-20 principle, right? That 80% of the church work is often done by 20% of the members. 
And as I was doing research, sadly, actually, this should be called the 85-15 or the 90-10. Because sadly, we're going in the wrong direction. And more and more work is being passed off to less and less people. And so how do we break out of this pattern? The way to break out is to follow the pattern sent in Ephesians chapter 4. That the church is a ministry of every man, every woman, every student. You think if you're in high school here that it's like, oh yeah, my mom and dad will take care of everything. That you don't have to do anything. Everyone is called to help out. Every man, woman, and child. We should all be serving and using our gifts. And unless we obey scripture, we will never be a thriving, we will never be a healthy, we will never be a mature church if we only leave it up to a few people. And this is especially why I'm so proud of our deacons and deaconesses that were installed today. How timely is it that we come across this passage? This class of 2019, we spent a lot of weeks training, a lot of weeks going over material, the book of church order, the confessions. It was a lot of stuff. And they spent a lot of time reading Bible outside in one year. We did one year of training. And when the class, when, when we went through the testing and the interviewing, and they were asked, these candidates were asked, why do you want to become a deacon? And what they said, basically, what they all said together is that they want to become a deacon because they were called to do it. This is the way God has gifted me. This is the way God has called me. And when they said that, oh my gosh, my heart like broke, you know. After that year of training and please don't make me look bad, do well on this interview, you know. And they hit a home run off that one simple question. You do it not because you're the most gifted, most talented, the best person, but you do it because God has called you to do it. Brothers and sisters, perhaps you're not called to be an officer of the church, but still all of us have a calling to serve the church. And as a church, if we would only start becoming more selfless, right, more not focus so much on ourselves, but we use our gift to serve other people, that's when we will see Grace Point mature to the next level. The last thing I want to point out to be a mature church, not only do we have to be one that's unified, not only do we have to be one that is uh, selfless, but the last thing I want us to see is simply we need to be a church that's loving. This shouldn't be a surprise to any of us because the Paul and the whole Bible, it always emphasizes the importance of love. A couple of weeks ago, what did Paul say? To find spiritual strength. You need to meditate on what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ. And then when the people ask Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. And this is the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As we come to our passage this morning, it tells us, God gave some to be apostles, prophets, shepherds, and teachers for the building up of the body of Christ to help us mature, no longer being children, tossed to and fro by waves, 
No longer children, rather what? Rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped. When each part is properly, is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Do you see, friends? But why is love so important, Paul? Why does the Bible talk about love so much? And the reason is, if you take love out of any equation of the Christian life, what do you get? You take love out of the whole purpose of unity, and you try to be unified, but you don't love. What's the result? Obligation? Duty? Imagine I told my wife, yeah, I just want us to be unified in our marriage, because it's my duty. It's my obligation. Imagine any of us told our spouses that. Come on, man. Then we lost the whole purpose of why we got married in the first place. Take love out of our selfless acts that we talked about. If we take love out of the selfless acts, what's the result? Simply just our deeds. Simply our works, our merits. And if you think about it, if you take love out of uh, the reason why we're trying to be selfless, it no longer becomes a selfless act. It's a merit that points to what you did, right? It's no longer about love, but it's about what you did. But instead of taking love away, imagine we make everything about love. Everything about the reason why we do it is because we love God. We love God's people. We love even our enemies. If we do these things out of love, what do we get? We get a unified church. We get a selfless church. We get a church marked with all the marks of the maturity. And basically, we get a church that's filled with people that look like Jesus. Because if you think about Jesus, the gospel tells us he's the only one that loved perfectly. He loved us so much, the Bible tells us he became disunified or he became separated from God in order that we can be unified. Jesus loved us so perfectly, he showed us what selflessness looked like by laying down his life on the cross. And God loved us so much. The Bible tells us the main motivation of the cross is why? Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Amazing stuff, isn't it? We want, if we want to be a really mature church, a really Christ-like church, we need to seek God's love to be the means and to be the goal of our church because we love God. We want to worship him. And so Grace Point, what does all of this mean? We went over a lot, but in addition to, to being a, a mature church, not only do we need to be unified, selfless, and loving, let me just share one more thing 
one application that we can help apply these things. To be a mature church, to work towards maturity, we really need to learn to be patient with each other. Patience. Because if you look at the way our passage ends, look at these verses up here again. Paul likens the church to a growing body. And all of us know when children grow, they don't just burst into adulthood just like that, right? But it literally takes years. It takes decades for infants to mature into adults. It takes good parenting. It takes good leadership. It takes a lot of schooling, a lot of studying God's word, a lot of prayer, a lot of waiting on God's timing for things to unfold as they should. And if a child takes that much time to grow and blossom to who God wants them to be, how much more the whole church of God together, that it would take that much time, prayer, patience. Grace point, if we want to work towards this unity, work towards being selfless, work towards loving each other, we need to learn to be patient with each other as God works in each of our hearts and as God changes our lives. And so friends, as I close, before I close and before I pray, let me go back to the beginning verses. And as I go back and I read you some of these verses, may it come out more powerfully. And as I read these, and I'm going to urge you, like Paul urges you, that as you read these, as you hear these verses and read it, may God's calling for us in His words, may it fall heavy on our heart and convict us to grow towards maturity in God's grace. Listen to God's word one more time before I close. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Therefore, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. This is our call, brothers and sisters.